one of the reasons I got trained as a peacemaker, because I'm trying to add even more legitimacy to this where it actually becomes formalized and more and greater accepted. Hi, I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation, and I am at Community Justice 2016 in Chicago, where hundreds of justice practitioners from various jurisdictions around the country and around the world are gathering to talk about justice reform. With me right now is Captain Joe Ballas, retired from the Madison, Wisconsin Police Department. We've sat down to talk for a little bit about restorative justice. He participated in a panel here at Community Justice 2016 on restorative justice, and he was very involved with that concept in his work in the Madison Police Department. You were involved in starting something called the Dane County Community Restorative Court. So why don't you explain what that is and why you wanted to to start something called a restorative court that has this word restorative in it? Sure, Rob. It would be a pleasure. In 2013, the NE Casey Fund Foundation funded a study in Dane County. It was conducted by the Wisconsin Council on Children and Families. And that report, published in October 2013, uh, really uh, statistically laid out what was the state the human condition of the African-American population in Dane County. And their report in its breadth covered so many different measures um, across the spectrum um, that were just all jumped out to many in Dane County. And we're a community in uh, Madison's the state capital, Wisconsin, 500,000 is the county population, almost 250 is the city of Madison. And when you look at that, it was really uh, pretty telling, and everybody just accepted it as the baseline. There was really little argument about the data or anything. It was so overwhelming. Um, one number in particular with regards to racial injustice um, was uh, Dane County African Americans uh, represent about 4.8% of the population. But when you look at the number of people that we send to prison every year, African Americans in Dane County represent 44% of the people we send to prison. Based on that report, a Dane County Board African-American Supervisor, Sheila Stubbs, who I ironically have known for many years, she uh, brought forward a proposal in November 2013 to the County Board and got it stuck in the 2014 budget to create a pilot community restorative court in South Madison that would look at 17 to 25-year-olds and try to divert them, uh, who have been arrested for misdemeanors, divert them from the formal traditional criminal justice system to a community restorative court um, predicated on the ideas of peacemaking um, and justice circles. And um, and maybe we'll just pause for a second yep. when we talk about restorative. Mm-hmm. We're talking about, I know we t- it's about restoring both the community, repairing but also... Harm, repairing harm to the victim. To the victim, but and, and the, the offender to an extent, too. Dealing with, and, and really doing an assessment of the offender because, you know, when Rob, when law enforcement issue citations or we arrest young people, 17, 25 years, for a lot of times is these kind of nuisance-level types of crimes, it would be theft, criminal damage to property, disorderly conduct, obstructing an officer. There are other things that are going on there with that person at that point in time that they happen to come on officer's radar screen. Because oftentimes when we make arrests, we're not out driving around looking for them. We get called by the 911 system because we're responding to something that we ultimately end up investigating, whether it be a fight in progress at a, in a public place or inside a private residence. Um, we have to deal with what it is that we walk into. And um, this was a way to take, and instead of sticking that 17- to 25-year-old in the formal system, where in Wisconsin, 
something that, unlike a lot of states in the country, we have an uh, online court system called CCAP. And once you get ar- arrested and you then appear and make an initial appearance in Wisconsin Circuit Court, a record of you starts online on the Internet in the Wisconsin Circuit Court database that's totally publicly accessible. That's, there's all sorts of warnings about how it's not supposed to be used for discriminatory purposes or employment purposes, etc. But everybody in Wisconsin knows about it, and once you get something onto CCAP, it's impossible to get it off. Um, damn near impossible. I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it's damn near. Uh, we find these 17 to 25-year-olds, it hurts them for employment, hurts them for schooling, hurts them for um, housing, uh, many different things. So the uh, community restorative court, they would be, that's a totally diversion? It's a total so they, diversion. They wouldn't have a record right. in this system? Right, and the way we created the diversion is we, in the spring of uh, 2015, we put we worked together um, with our Dane County District Attorney, Ishmael Zahn, ahead of our Dane County Department of Human Services, Lynn Green, uh, Madison Police Chief Mike Koval, um, and our City Attorney, Mike May, um, and myself, I was involved in this. We uh, created an MOU. In the Memorandum of Understanding, I outlined the parameters of what we were going to try to do in the pilot, and it was a 12-month MOU. It actually expires next month in May. Um, we'll certainly expand it, continue on, but uh, we definitely need to tweak kind of what we're doing right now to build some more caseload. But the important thing is, is that uh, over the past year and a half now, we've created a, uh, another option for dealing with um, this behavior out in the neighborhoods that both is victim rights focused, but at the same time focus on the needs of the offender, where we hired a community restorative court coordinator. That's a funded position, not through a grant or something that we're going to possibly lose. We actually created a new position within the Human Services budget for Dane County where this position lives. And that that's really huge because now we got that position. We don't have to fight for it every single year. And what we're trying to do is our district attorney's office has been very creative already. They've got 700 cases currently in different states of deferred prosecution. And what we're really hoping to do long-term is to take a piece of that deferred prosecution caseload that they have right now, and those cases that go to deferred prosecution are ready and ideal, many of them primed, for um, a peacemaking process. And so what? And so peacemaking, as I understand it, we have a program in Brooklyn, the Center for Court Innovation runs through the Red Hook Community Justice mm-hmm. Center, yep. is based on traditional Native yep. American practice. Yep bringing people together in a circle right. and people solving sort of the problem and the issue collectively. So is that the model? That, that is using? the model. And, and, and what happened was is that after we uh, were looking around in the spring or in um, 2014, once we had that money funded to create the uh, coordinator court, uh, CRC coordinator position, we got a hold of the Center for Court Innovation. And they... Uh, and so with the help of some BGA technical assistance money, they brought our team, seven of us, uh, out to New York where we saw, we were up in Harlem at the community court up there. We went down and met with Judge Calabresi in uh, Red Hook and got to see his phenomenal work he's done. He is nothing short of an American hero um, in terms of what he's done out there. And then lastly, uh, we went over to Brownsville, where at the time we were there, it hadn't started yet, but we talked with the folks and we looked at the building. I think it was an old Catholic church, if I'm not mistaken, or something to that effect. Um, an old school that they were looking at setting up. Um, but we were out there in Brownsville um, and talking with them, too. So we left New York with a lot of great ideas that we brought back to Madison. 
to figure out how we wanted to set this up. And uh, we went to work on uh, doing community meetings where we uh, brought the community in, told them about we were looking for volunteers. We worked with Jonathan Shar, a person I haven't mentioned enough. Jonathan Shar is a professor at the UW-Madison Law School that teaches the uh, restorative justice uh, training at the law school. And uh, Jonathan um, was solicited by us to help us um, teach um, and train our, peace, our peacemaker program, which is now a 16-hour class. We've got over 40 trained, and myself, just a few weeks ago, I went through the two-day training myself. And has it started, the uh, restorative? Yes. It has, well, it has... last July, we started actually making referrals from the South Police District. Again, the refer uh, we're just focused on my old district, where a new captain's at right now because I left in January. But um, we're going through every arrest that we make, and we make probably 60-some arrests a month. And we're looking for those cases that we can divert. But right now, our MOU is focused really kind of looking at first offenders, um, 17 to 25. But what we're realizing and our challenge is we need to get into more complex cases. Because some of the things that we heard at this conference, for instance, is that in, uh, you don't want to be doing interventions on low-risk populations. Okay, And generally, in our model right you have right now, those are our first offenders. They don't have a lot of, you know... The, the kid, the 21-year-old that got drunk um, and stole a coffee cup at the, at the convenience store at 2 o'clock in the morning, who's on his way to a graduate degree in engineering at Wisconsin, probably isn't the guy that really needs to go through the restorative court. Okay, And so we are now trying to look at really the more complicated cases um, and get some of those um, individuals, offenders, respondents, as we call them, uh, diverted to um, peacemaking. So get me a little bit into the head, uh, your head as a, as a police officer, although there are police officers who've been involved in all kinds of innovative strategies, community policing and engaging the community. Mm-hmm. I think it's probably less common, this notion of restorative justice mm-hmm. engaging the police. So what attracted you to this? Why were you drawn to this idea of restorative justice? Great, great question, Rob. And for me, it just was a logical extension of my journey and my career as a 30 years in policing. Um, I did my graduate work at Wisconsin in the early 80s, and I was um, able to have great mentors like Professor Herman Goldstein, who was the godfather of problem-oriented policing. And in the late 80s, early 90s, I happened to be part of some of the early efforts at defining what community policing is in this country. Um, I was a neighborhood officer myself in the city of Madison, where we identified 13 kind of high-crime little pockets in the city of Madison and I was one of 13 neighborhood officers in the late 80s that went out into those neighborhoods and uh, built relationships with people and to really try to find uh, alternatives to arrests and other ways of dealing with um, crime and the crack dealing and the gang behavior and things like that that we had out in those neighborhoods. That to me was a very unbelievable moment in my uh, career in law enforcement because it really defined me and really set in place my core values. Um, in terms of the need for police in the community to really have this very, very close partnership and understanding with the community that you are trying to police. Because policing isn't something that police do, but policing is something that we do collaboratively with the community, and the community shares a big part of that. So for me, when I look at restorative justice, quite honestly, it's it's like a graduate school version of community policing as we knew it, but it brings more formality to it. Okay, and the peacemaking process and just the respect and dignity, how everybody participates equally in the process, 
it's so different, so radically different than the traditional adversarial justice system as we know it today. It's really what we're talking about here is changing the culture of the justice system. And I think restorative justice really hit. I'm excited about it. Um, I think we're just literally scratching the surface. And we got many, many um, kind of laboratories going on, much like, kind of like we experimented 20 plus years ago with community policing in Madison. Now um, I see a lot of communities around the country experimenting with different models of community justice. And um, it's every single day. And one of the reasons I got trained as a peacemaker, because I'm trying to add even more legitimacy to this where it actually becomes formalized and more and greater accepted. I don't want it just to be the tree-hugging people that are out there being trained as peacemakers, that, the, hippies. Um, the hippies, you know, but here is a 30-year veteran of law enforcement, recently retired captain, very involved in this community, community through Rotary, the United Way, coaching basketball, whatever it might be, but I also see that people like me also need to become peacemakers because um, we're part of the community and we need to be part of that uh, restorative justice process. Well, let me ask you just one final question, which is with all the concerns that everyone uh, is aware of, there was just a police a report about Chicago police mm-hmm. release this week. Right. Um, there's a lot of concern that there's a culture among some police officers where there's an antagonism between the community they serve, there's institutional racism, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Right. And you just spoke about a very personal journey that you took, you know, 30 years down this road, although it didn't take you 30 years, but you spent, you evolved to a position where, you know, your eyes have been opened and you've embraced new ways of doing things and you're talking about restorative justice. And I also know you had mentioned before we started that you've been advising, you know, someone who is working with the task force, the president's task force on 21st century policing. You're very involved, you know, nationally now that you've retired in helping police jurisdictions think differently. What advice or insight do you have into how maybe restorative justice or other tools can be used and how can you get police officers interested in them who haven't walked in your shoes specifically? Right. Um, Great question, Rob. I mean, I think we're at a with regards to policing, I think we're at a kind of a crossroads in this country very similar to where we were when UCR Part 1 crime was at its highest in the early 1990s. I mean, a lot of the initiatives that led to President Clinton's 100,000 officer initiative when he was first elected and the 1994 crime bill, I think today we are similarly situated. But interestingly, we don't have the same amount of crime that we had back then, but how our police interact with our communities. And I think we're really struggling with this whole nature of the increasing diversity of our country, particularly in our larger urban areas. Any community, 50,000 and over, okay, you are really starting to see some very changing demographics. One of the areas that I'm working in right now is out in King County, Seattle. And um, I happened over the past year meet Sue Rar, who was a former King County Sheriff um, that is now the executive director for the Criminal Justice Training Commission for the state of Washington. And she was on President Obama's 21st Century Policing Task Force. And Sue uh, penned the piece that Harvard published a few years ago about are we training, are questioning, are we training our police officers to be guardians or warriors? And when you look at the President's Task Force report, and what Sue and the colleagues that were on that task force, they identified six pillars that put forth a roadmap 
for police chiefs and communities all over the country to really internally look at themselves, to see and measure themselves, to see how they're doing and where they could improve. And that first pillar is all about trust and legitimacy. And in that part of the report, and it's not a very long report, it's only 30 pages long, there's a lot of reference to procedural justice, both internally and externally. Because one of the things we know, and we found many years ago in Madison, is that you can't put police officers into an organization okay, where good work's not recognized, where they have abusive supervisors, where there's no systems of accountability. When you have internal cultures like that, you're going to get bad policing on the backside of it. There's just, there's just no way. You might get some good policing by accident, but if you got inside of those police organizations that are so dysfunctional, okay, you can't expect any better result. Many years ago, four decades ago, by a guy by the name of David Cooper, police chief in Madison at the time, he led Madison on a 20-year kind of a culture revolution that transformed our department, where um, hired the first women. Today, over 30% of the officers in the Madison Police Department are women. 90% um, of us have at least a four-year degree. 20% of the department are people of color. We have, for a 455-officer department um, in a community of 250,000, uh, we're doing pretty damn good in terms of trying to at least recruit, retain individuals that we can take and put out there on the streets every day as police officers and with, with the proper training and guidance. There's a lot of police departments in this country that, quite frankly, are really struggling to do that. You know, I'll end, Rob, with something in terms of the need for police departments to communities to think futuristic about how they built for police departments. Chief Cooper once said many years ago, if you want to see what your community is going to look like 15 years from now, walk into a kindergarten classroom. Makes sense. Absolutely. And if you're not trying to build and recruit and prepare your police department to, in terms of its diversity to what that kindergarten classroom looks like today, you're losing ground already. So I think we're at a unique opportunity here. I think uh, restorative justice is, quite frankly, really the next evolution here of the conversation. We've got some tough problems that we're dealing with in this country, but I really feel optimistic, I think, about the tools that we have, the evidence-based uh, practices, and a lot of great organizations like the Center for Court Innovation that are helping agencies um, and police departments all around the country and justice systems help us get there. Well, that's a very nice and positive note to end on, so thank you. I've been speaking with Captain Joe Ballas, who uh, retired just this past January from the Madison Police Department and is now very involved in a number of things, both in Madison and nationally, regarding uh, innovations in policing. And we've been speaking uh, this afternoon at Community Justice 2016, the international conference that's being held here in Chicago I'm Rob Wolf, Director of Communications at the Center for Court Innovation. To find out more about restorative justice and about the conference and about the work the center does, visit our website at www.courtinnovation.org. And thank you for listening.